Emma Gracer was a guard at Belston. She was said to be stunningly beautiful, but also vicious and cruel. At her trial she was found guilty of causing the deaths of Allied prisoners, and was then hanged. But did the prosecution prove the charge against her? Let us examine the facts. Irma Gracer was a simple country girl, and in 1933, when Hitler came to power, she was nine. If a person from the age of nine is constantly told by the state that a certain group of people poses an insidious danger to society as a whole, and if there are laws in place which prevent that group from holding certain employments, or send them to prison, or if they are harried so unremittingly that some of them commit suicide, then that person will come to believe that what he or she is being told is true. We British, of course, should know, since what I have just described is the treatment we subjected homosexuals to in Britain until 1956, and indeed beyond. It was also what the German state did for the groups of people to whom it had taken a dislike, Jews, Jehovah Witnesses, homosexuals, the physically and mentally disabled, and so on and Emma Gracer believed everything she was told. The charge against her, as against all the defendants at the Belson trial, was that she had conspired to ill-treat Allied prisoners and had caused the deaths at Belson of certain named Allied prisoners and other Allied nationals whose names were not known. A parallel charge was made with respect to Auschwitz. The charge, of course, was of vital relevance to the verdict of the court, Either she had done what she was charged with, or she had not. Now, it is a requirement of English law that a charge be specific, so that the accused can have a clear understanding of what he or she is being charged with. In an English court, for example, if the charge is one of murder, the name of the alleged victim must be specified in the charge. One part of the charge against Emma Gracer and the other defendants, does not do this. The part which I refer to reads, and here I quote, other allied nationals whose names are unknown. The prosecution must have clearly been worried that if the charge had been one only of ill-treatment of unnamed allied nationals, even if such ill-treatment had caused their deaths, it would have been considered too vague and would have been thrown out. And to ward against this possibility, they took the precaution of adding the names of the Allied prisoners. The court heard much evidence which would suggest that Yemma Gracer was a violent, vicious person. One Edith Trieger alleged that in August 1944 at Auschwitz, she saw Gracer shoot and kill a Hungarian prisoner. The evidence was clear and cogent, albeit uncorroborated. But, as the defence pointed out, in August 1944, Hungary was an Axis power, waging war against the Allies. If Hungary was not an ally, then killing a Hungarian national was not an offence under the charge. The prosecution initially claimed that 12 Allied prisoners had died at Belsen. It was very quickly recognised that two of those prisoners had never been at the camp, that the third was a defendant, if you please, and not a victim, and that a fourth had died, in fact been shot, after the defendants had passed responsibility to the British. The names of these four victims had necessarily to be deleted from the charge. 
this showed a woefully poor preparation of the prosecution's case. The defence counsel then went through the remaining eight alleged allied deaths. The evidence showed that number five, Keith Mayer, had been shot by one person, a person who was not before the court, and holding 45 people responsible for his death would have lacked all logic. Number six, Anna Clay, was described on her death certificate as being of Honduras. Citizens of Honduras at the time would usually have been British. However, Clay had been born in Germany, and her nationality at birth would therefore presumably have been German, and no evidence was produced that she had adopted or acquired British nationality. Could her nationality be said to be British without reasonable doubt? If there was reasonable doubt, then she could not be included. That left six. Death certificates had been issued for these six people, but they were vague as to the cause of death, giving conditions such as general weakness. However, they did give precise dates of death and even times, and the most recent of these was the 4th of March 1945. Now, Irma Gracer had told the court that she arrived in Belson in March 1945, but she did not specify on what date. If she was to be held guilty of a charge of conspiring to cause the deaths of people who died on or before the 4th of March, then it is obvious that she could be found guilty only if she had arrived at the camp no later than that date, and indeed no later than 2.25pm on that date. No one knew if she had done or not. The five British officers sitting as jury and judges were given no more information than I have just given you, and if they wanted to find Gracer guilty as charged, they had to do so having no reasonable doubt in their minds. After hearing evidence in respect of 45 defendants presented to them over a period of two months, these officers retired to decide their verdict. They considered the evidence against her, the evidence for her, and the submissions made by prosecution and defence counsel. They had to come to their verdict, and in her case a sentence. It took them about eight minutes to do this, and they decided, without any reasonable doubt in their minds, that she was guilty of both the Belson and Auschwitz charges, and they duly sentenced her to be hanged. They gave no reason for their verdict or for the sentence. A sad and poignant story can now be told about Irma Grace's last hours. Albert Pierpoint, the hangman, recorded in his memoirs that on the 12th of December, the day before her execution, Gracer had to be weighed. He went to the condemned cells, and RSM O'Neill ordered, Bring out Irma Gracer. She walked out of her cell and came towards us, laughing. She seemed as bonny a girl as one could ever wish to meet. She answered O'Neill's questions, but when he asked her her age, she paused and smiled. I found that we were both smiling with her, as if we realised the conventional embarrassment of a woman revealing her age. Eventually, she said, 21, which we knew to be correct. There is an amusing point here which might reveal something of the character of the girl. She had turned 22 two months previously. Her flash of humour passed Pierpoint by. Irma Gracer spent that night singing songs with another girl who was to die with her in the morning, and then she was taken out to the yard. Her last words, addressed firmly but quietly to the hangman, were, Schnell, Schnell, 
quickly, quickly. That takes guts. Clearly the court had rejected the defence's argument, but unfortunately it did not give its reasons, and there was no appeal. Did the court come to the right decision? You must form your own view. Thank you. Mm -hmm.